the pandemic preparedness in the workplace along with the ADA was issued, um, it was a guidance that was issued by the EEOC in connection with the fact that we are in a situation of a declared pandemic. So all the normal, what, what I'll call normal rules don't necessarily apply. You're listening to Legal Skinny Podcast with Trisha Burita. I'm a 15-year licensed practicing attorney in the state of Texas. I created Legal Skinny because when I've been invited to do educational seminars on different subjects in employment law, employers and HR professionals would often ask me, where can they find out a little more information on this or a little more information on that? Look, I get it. There's a lot of resources out there, but sometimes it's confusing and people are so busy. Sometimes people have only 30 or 15 or maybe even five minutes in their day to devote to learning something new. On this podcast, you'll hear me have discussions and interviews on topics relevant to employers. Disclaimer though, Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and doesn't create an attorney-client relationship. Also remember, laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So this is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you. The Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, often referenced as the ADA, makes it unlawful to discriminate in employment against a qualified individual with a disability. The ADA also outlaws discrimination against individuals with disabilities in state and local government services, public accommodations, transportation, and telecommunications. This is a law that employers are constantly working through and struggling with. (laughs) It's complicated. And today, my guest is both a friend and colleague that I brought along to have the discussion about the Americans with Disabilities Act. Tina Rager is the founding partner of her own law firm in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. She handles litigation, counseling, and compliance matters related to labor and employment law for corporate, entrepreneurial, and startup enterprises, as well as handling business disputes and litigation. She's a great friend. So since my topic is ADA part one, who, what, when, and why, I had to call Tina so we could chat about the Americans with Disabilities Act and even a little 90210 made up scenarios for fun. We had an interesting chat, and so I hope you enjoyed this Legal Skinny episode, ADA Part 1, The Who, What, When, and Why. Welcome, Tina, to the Legal Skinny Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on here. So, Let's let's get into it. I want to hear all about your work in Pennsylvania. So I am uh, I was with a, a small uh, litigation firm for about thirteen years as a partner, and I left there probably about almost a year ago. It'll be a year at the end of this month, and ventured out on my own and started my own law practice as the law offices of Christina Rieger, focusing on exactly what I do, which is employment law, counseling, and compliance. 
Um, and I work, try to work proactively with my employers on uh, employment law issues, making sure they're compliant with the law, finding solutions that fit their business size, and just making sure that they really understand um, the laws that apply to them. Um, and if they do get into trouble or they get into trouble when they come to me, I work them through that process and get them out of that situation. So today we're going to be talking about the Americans with Disabilities Act, the who, what, when, and why. So let's start with the who. Like, let's talk about who does the Americans with Disabilities Act apply to? Well, I can tell you, Trisha, the best way to answer this question, as it was explained to me many years ago, is who doesn't it apply to? Um, <laughs> right. Um, so the Americans with Disabilities Act applies to, it doesn't apply to really small business and solopreneurs. It applies to private employers with 15 or more employees. Um, but employers really need to be mindful that most states have a state counterpart, like Pennsylvania has the Pennsylvania Human Relations Commission, which has a state counterpart, which has the same the same laws that are encompassed in the ADA, but applies to smaller employers. But the ADA applies to private employers with 15 or more employees. Okay, so the Americans with Disabilities Act, if you have 15 or more employees um, and you know you familiar and sort of ventured into it, let's let's talk about really like what is the Americans with Disabilities Act? It, you know, when it came about, it's obviously changed over time. The courts have done a lot of interpretation on it, but let's kind of give for let's just say someone who has no familiarity, you know, and trying to understand what this is. So <clears throat> I'm gonna go with what it's not first, again, like I did for the last question, because <laughs> okay. um, I feel like that's always helpful to me anyway, um, is that the ADA is not an affirmative action statute. Um, and the way that I've always looked at it, and I remember reading this many, many years ago, is that the ADA was intended to place individuals that have disabilities at the same starting line as those individuals that don't have disabilities. So it was a workplace um, statute geared toward um, eradicating discrimination against those individuals that have disabilities by providing requirements on employers to do such thing as such things as provide reasonable accommodations to those employees to put them at that same starting line. That's a good explanation for what exactly that it is. So when we're talking about, okay, what is it? We've talked about the what, we've talked about who it applies to. So the when, like, you know, when should employers be thinking, you know, about the Americans with Disabilities Act? Three words, all the time, <laughs> all the time, regardless of the situation that you're in, regardless if you're hiring, you're firing, you're just operating your business, you're under 15 employees, you should be always considering the Americans with Disabilities Act. It was built to provide a lot of protections to those individuals with disabilities. And it's interesting now because, you know, um, if you're not thinking about it all the time, usually, you know, you can miss a place where an accommodation would have been necessary. So I think that's a great point. Um, and interesting, um, always to kind of delve into that. But before we get too far into it, let's talk about, okay, so uh, the disability piece, when can an employer inquire about a disability? 
There are really strict parameters on inquiring about a disability. Typically, if you're in the hiring process, an employer is not permitted to ask um, about, about that information about a disability prior to making a conditional offer. Once a conditional offer is made, an employer can ask about a disability, but provided that that question is not just because the employer is curious, but because it's related to the job function that the employee may be required to do. Um, very frequently, employees offer that information. And I find that I always recommend to my employers, be careful when you get that information that's volunteered very early on in the process, particularly if you're, this isn't the right fit candidate for you and you already know that. Um, if you think that it's a really good candidate, then you may want to engage in that conversation because you may need that insight to make sure that person has all of the things that they need if you're extending an offer to them. Yeah, that's a good point that you're making because actually, you know, if you discover during an interview about a disability, it's just like if you discover any other protected class, like during the interview process, you know, someone mentions I'm pregnant or someone mentions that I'm part of another, uh, you know, protected category. So um, that's that's all kind of the same sort of thought process. It's just sometimes when people aren't thinking and the interview interviewer isn't thinking about disabilities and realizing okay, you know, these people are entitled to, you know, possibly work with an accommodation when they get hired. So, you know, how to, what does that all look like? And to be sensitive to that, that, that the protections under the Americans with Disabilities Act provides for that. And it starts right up front in the hiring process. You're just exactly right. Right. And you're putting them, keep that vision in your mind. You're putting them at the same starting line as somebody that doesn't have a disability. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because prior to, you know, making the conditional job offer, you know, to an applicant, you know, the like you're saying the disability related inquiries and medical exams, they're generally prohibited. And so um, delving into that and not having, especially if you haven't educated the people that are doing the interviews for your company. I mean, I think that's kind of key. You know, they should know they can't just sort of delve into medical conditions, you know, uh, even if even if the applicant brings it up. Right. It's not right. an open door for you to just kind of chat away with that. Um you know, be very careful, you know, uh, just as you were saying, just to say. You were, you were well, and I think you raise a really good point, And that is training, 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 train your people. As humans, we just have this natural instinct to be nosy. And so when someone brings something up, and you <laughs> something that you're not used to, it's like, oh, let me ask some questions because I'm nosy. Not because that information is relevant in any way to the job that they're going to be required to perform. I like that humans have a natural instinct. Are you nosy, <laughs> Tina? I'm not nosy at all. Never. I'm not nosy. We, we don't really count because we're lawyers. And let's just face it naturally. We're, we're just we're, nosy. We're, we're nosy. We're inquisitive. Uh, we're, we'll interrogate you about, you know, that can of milk and the expiration date. So like, let's face it. Um, That's right. Uh, but so, yes, yes. And, and the training is so important. I think there's a lot of mistakes made during those, um, the hiring process with people that aren't trained. And, and, you know, I will say this for employers and HR professionals, if you're, you know, um, if you do have a new person doing the hiring and they're learning that process, they should be doing it with someone who's experienced, you know, because right. there can be a lot of mistakes made during hiring that never result in a liability lawsuit. It doesn't mean the mistakes weren't made and the learning shouldn't have occurred. Uh, so, you know, some hand holding in there, don't send the green person in there to, 
to hire <laughs> the file clerk, you know, uh, and, and not, not really understand that, you know, any situation can lend yourself to the Americans with Disabilities Act. It does not matter whether it's a high level employee, a low level employee, you know, um, all individuals, um, you know, that potentially have a disability under this act, you know, are provided with those protections. And so you, you don't, you can't call, you know, uh, call out and say, okay, well, you know, we, we had someone doing the interviewing that didn't know better. That's just never going to work when you're dealing with this. Act. Right. It's not a defense that you can rely on. Not a good one anyway. <laughs> not a good one. Okay. So I thought I would bring up a, um, a scenario kind of for us to sort of chat about. I, uh, I loved uh, the original 90210. I know there was subsequent 90210s, but like uh, the 90210 TV show. And I, I thought we could kind of talk about those characters in the scenario in, in, in context, you know, sort of in a satirical sense of, you know, uh, what the Americans with Disabilities Act um, kind of looks like actually with characters and, and people playing it out. It makes it makes it easier to sort of explain and discuss. So let me give you kind of uh, a scenario, Tina, if you're down with this. Sure. Makes right. it real. Let's say Nat at the Peach Pit decides today to start taking temperatures of employees and asking employees medical questions before they show up to work. Is that okay under the ADA? Say he asks everyone from the dishwashers to the waiters to the cashier. So normally, Trisha, that would not be okay. Um, but, and this is a whole lot of words, but the pandemic preparedness in the workplace um, along with the ADA was issued, um, it was a guidance that was issued by the EEOC in connection with the fact that we are in a situation of a declared pandemic. So all the normal, what I'll call normal rules don't necessarily apply. And under these circumstances where we have a national declared pandemic, an employer can take those measures um, as long as they do it consistently um, to everyone. And that's interesting because the, uh, when it came out that you could take the temperatures of your employees when they come in, that is bizarro world for us employment lawyers. We would never be telling people, you know what you, if, if you had asked me in January, Hey, we're going to have all of our employers like designate a, a, a person who sits at the front with a, with a mask and everything on and takes everyone's temperatures. Right. Like right. I, I would have been like, no, you're not. Like that's a what bad idea. You live in? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? But it was a bit. So while it seems simple, um, maybe to other people that don't live in this sort of legal world, this is shocking. Like to to start to see that you're and there's this all this stuff at least rolling around in my head. I'm sure it was rolling around in your head of like, oh my gosh, like. Um, how are they going to keep each of those temperature checks confidential? Like, are, is every, what if the guy behind him hears that this guy's 98.7, like that's a violation. Like we're, you know, I'm just kind of like, oh my gosh, what, what is the EOC allowing them to do? But I think it's important to talk about like, just what you just said. So in this sort of special rules that we're under right now, it's because the CDC declared this a pandemic. At some point, we're all praying that this pandemic goes away, right? When it goes away, employers need to remember we're back to the other rules, right? So if you've gotten the, used to checking temperatures of people and you decide, you know what, the pandemic's over, but it's flu season and we're going to check temperatures <laughs> anyway, right? That's not going to jive because that's not, not allowed under, uh, um, 
uh, by the EOC and under with the Americans with Disabilities Act, right, Tina? Under normal situations, right. If we ever get back to normal times, correct. That information is not something that an employer is permitted to ask. Right. So if we're in a time travel machine, back to 90210 episode in the 90s and Nat in the peach bit, and he's taking temperatures, you know, we're going to go ahead and go with that. That's a no, Nat, right? That's a no, Nat. No, <laughs> you cannot do that. <laughs> but since he's under special rules right now, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, uh, allow it because the EEOC has openly said that in the whole point, of course, it's obvious, right? It's to prevent the spread of, of disease um, in the workplace. Well, and that being said, that doesn't, that's not carte blanche for an employer to ask all of these, his employees that are teleworking those questions. It's only for those employees that are in a workplace where there are other employees where one employee could pose a direct threat to another employee. So I think it's not without limitation, even in a pandemic. I think that agreed. I think it's, a, <laughs> so if, when you got the word that you're allowed to take temperatures, you decided to throw the rule book out the window, go back out the window, grab the rule book, bring it back in because we're, we're still under a bunch of rules here. It's just, there's a few things that they're allowing and you need to, you need to skim that line of where exactly they're saying is okay, because there's a, this is okay. This is okay. That's not okay. Like they've, you know what I mean? They're going and who knows where we're going to be next spring. They may pull back, right? They may say, well, now we're, in this position, or at some point, of course, the CDC will say, you know, we're not really under a pandemic anymore, right? And then everyone needs to go back to, okay, what were those rules before? And and you have to read, you'll probably have to retrain, right, Tina, to tell everyone, this was the rule always. And now, so don't, don't start, you know, uh, into those inquiries. When you used to be able to ask <clears throat> the CDC symptom inquiries of, you know, Oh, do you have a cough? Do you have a fever? That's all going to be considered like a medical question um, outside of the pandemic rules. We're going to have to do another podcast when things go back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. We'll have to revisit uh, the peach pit and Nat and, and other scenarios. Okay, so let's say Nat, can Nat start providing a rapid COVID-19 test every morning? Say he gets that on a lucky Nat, he has access to these rapid tests actually at the office. Say he does that. Can can he can he test the employees now? Yes, but he's only, I mean, obviously it's a COVID test, but it's only because we are in a situation of a pandemic and a declared pandemic. He can do that for the same reasons he can symptom check his employees and the same reasons he can take their temperature. Again, so when 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 we're outside of the pandemic, uh, employers shouldn't be confused that you know these rules won't apply, and you would normally need that job related and consistent with business necessity um, excuse for having some sort of like physical testing going on with employees. And the reason is right, Tina, is that um, people you know with disabilities um, are protected. Um, from the employer needing to know all about the disability unless it's really necessary or affects the job, right? Right. Correct. Absolutely. And so doing a bunch of tests on physical tests on an employee with no job relation is exactly what the ADA was sort of built to protect because, um, you know, it, the reason like, and it's interesting when you go back to the Pregnancy Discrimination Act and Title VII and the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Pregnancy Discrimination Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act that both came after the 1964 Title VII, those two acts came about because 
they weren't fixed by Title VII, right, originally. Right. And, and the discrimination was clearly occurring to people with disabilities and, uh, uh, you know, women um, in the workforce related to pregnancy. And it was to, it was to create, it's not like they sat down and goes, we should protect people with disabilities. It was because the problem had become so apparent in the workforce that individuals with disabilities were having so many discrimination issues that this act was created. So there's certainly a purpose and a mindset behind it. So it's, while it seems sort of weird to have be talking about whether employers can ask physical questions about things to employees, there is, you know, a method to the madness, I guess um, you would say, right? Well, and I think it goes back to what you said before, like you have to walk that fine line of, asking these medical questions of your employees and balancing that against and, and seeing more that as an intrusion of, of an individual's privacy and learning about their disability, which normally you wouldn't ask about, and balance that against protecting all of your employees against the spread of the disease at your workplace. That's exactly right. So, all right. So what about... <laughs> What about these antibody tests? Can Nat do the antibody test? Because um, can you just start testing people? He's like, you know what? I want to have a safe workplace. I, I'm just going to test everyone. And anyone with antibodies, they get to come back to work and everyone else stays home. Like, what, what are your thoughts on this? So the EEOC has said, no, the antibody tests um, is not something that an employer can ask about. And keep in mind, an antibody test really doesn't tell you anything except that you had the antibodies and that you likely had COVID before, but it doesn't do anything to protect the workplace against a potential COVID situation currently. Yeah, I, th I think you're right. The I feel like the EEOC, and this is another thing where we're going, you can go this far, you can go this far. Okay, you can't go that far. And the antibody test is one of them. And, you know, I heard a lot of employers get so excited about this antibody test. They were like, oh, this is the solution to all the problems. Like, we'll just do these antibody tests and then we'll know, you know, because, and the, the, the creepy weird part about this disease is the sort of asymptomatic person that's just tootling around, had COVID, <laughs> never knew it, like, um, you know, possibly infected people, possibly came into the workforce. And, you know, and you're thinking, okay, I'll discover all those people in an antibody test sort of situation. I, I don't know if that's kind of what employers are thinking, but they're, you know, EOC has said no. And I think a little of that is because I feel like the EOC has never gotten comfortable with the antibody test because it's not, it's like you just said, Tina, they're never, there hasn't been medical um, uh, consensus that the antibody test proves really anything that would be helpful for us in the workplace situation. Well, it goes back to there being nosy, like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's that inherent desire to, to be nosy. It doesn't do anything. It's not going to protect your workplace because the ship sailed. They, they probably already had COVID if it's, if you're relying on it. Hey, let's raise your hand if you know somebody that went and got the antibody test just because they were nosy about themselves. <laughs> I know a couple. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, exactly. And, but I and, think the testing in and of itself is the same way. Like it's it's not a hundred percent. There's there's false positives, there's false negatives. I know I know people that tested negative and they know they had COVID. Their their parent died of COVID um, and they tested negative and they were sick as a dog, like with all the symptoms. So you know, I've seen kind of runs the gamut and, and the COVID test really is just a snapshot in time. And I tell my employers this all the time. You could test negative today and have it tomorrow. So it, it, taking that test doesn't give you anything except a, it's like I'm taking a picture today. It's like the um, 
the temperature check too, you know, you have to think just because someone doesn't have a temperature doesn't mean they don't have COVID, right? Like there's no, uh, no, now anybody, any HR professionals and employers listen, don't cry on the phone here, but I'm sorry, Tina and I don't have the solution. I don't think there is like a, a one solution to go. I'm completely able to determine who in the workforce currently potentially has COVID or doesn't. They're just, they haven't figured that out yet. And the the rapid test, like you said, um, it can tell you that snapshot in time at that moment, the person doesn't have enough to show, but they technically could be in the early parts of the disease under the CDC. And, um, you know, they haven't developed enough to create the symptoms yet. So you could, you know, have been exposed, go to work, test negative, actually, that gives you those, those false negatives. And then the next day start developing symptoms and it, it all sort of isn't something the employer can generally control. So I think they have to do the best that they can do with what we have, right? It's an unprecedented situation. And so, okay, let's go back to Nat <laughs> and the beach fit. Uh, so what if Nat hears from, um, oh, let's say that Nat has a waiter named Brandon. No surprise there. And uh, he calls in saying he's going to be absent. Can Nat call him up and ask him why he's going to be absent? Yes, absolutely. And that's not asking him a disability related question at all. Um, that's just normal every day. Why are you missing work today? I know everyone's so scared now because they're like, well, what questions can I ask? And, you know, well, Tina and Trisha are here to tell you the two T's, okay, uh, that um, <laughs> it was never in the EOC has laughed about this. They're like, it's never been um, an issue for an employer to ask why someone's not coming to work. Like they almost act like it's ridiculous after they've said all these, you know, ground ground rules related to the, you know, the ADA, and they wonder why employers are gun shy on what they can ask and they can't ask. But, Absolutely. But you can ask. Okay, why didn't you come <laughs> into work today? Why are you skipping work? <laughs> okay, so what if Nat hears from another employee that Brenda, another waitress, posted on Facebook that her husband has been sick at home in bed? Can Nat ask Brenda about whether her husband has COVID-19? So I actually get this question quite frequently, and the answer to that is no. Um, you can't. And, and that's the danger with social media is that people put their whole world out there and um, and it becomes a problem from an employer standpoint to say, well, but I see something on social media that contradicts that. But that doesn't give the employer the right to be able to ask Brenda those questions. I feel like this goes back to your I feel like this goes back to your nosy question. <laughs> it all goes back to nosy. <laughs> <laughs> they want to they want to know yeah because um you've got the issue with the genetic information non-discrimination act those protections too that like um uh that go a little bit beyond of of what employers generally deal with on a day-to-day -day basis but you have those protections in place for a reason so um uh don't get too nosy when it comes to the other people especially outside of your employee and which is really confusing right now of course with covid um which is funny because if you go back pre-covid you know, employers generally probably weren't inquiring, do your kids have the flu? Does your husband have the flu? Like, you, you know what I mean? If you just go to normal flu season, which is, you know, uh, also contagious, uh, can shut down the workforce if you get a whole bunch of people sick. So, it, but that was never really something that employers were thinking about doing. It's just now with COVID um, and the contagiousness, of course, of this disease. Uh, that the nosy is on high level alert, <laughs> I would say. Well, and I feel like employers don't typically 
have a whole lot of interaction with GINA. GINA is one of those laws, it's, it's super interesting, I'm glad it was passed, but on the general average everyday employer doesn't typically interface with GINA and it just seems a little bit more unique in these times that kind of the questions about a family member's medical conditions or medical traits or information smacks like collides directly with Gina. It's not something employers run into very often. Okay, let's see. Um, so <clears throat> let what's <clears throat> happening at the peach pit now? <laughs> okay, so say Brenda, Kelly, and Dylan are all waiters at the peach pit and they refuse to have their temperature taken or refuse to answer the questions about symptoms because they feel it's their personal health issue and um, info and it's a violation of their right to privacy. Uh, is Nat stuck? Can he do anything about this? Yeah, I think he can. And I think this is, uh, this is another one of those situations that I feel is happening all the time. Um, an employer can refuse to have these employees into the workplace. Um, if they refuse to answer questions. And, and I feel like I've seen this a little different iteration of this is that employee that travels and goes somewhere, whether it's to a, a state, like for instance, in Pennsylvania, there's a whole list of like states that we can't travel to. And they travel to one of those states. Can an employer not refuse to not, you know, refuse to allow this person back in until they quarantine? And that, the answer to that is yes, too. Um, so, yes, the employer can say, well, then, you know, you can't come into work. Uh, but a good kind of rule of thumb or practice to incorporate is to ask them why. Why are they refusing to provide this information? Because that can be really illuminating. Um, so many times the answer is that um, the employee is concerned about the confidentiality of their information. I, I feel like that is such a rampant issue in workplaces where the employee is just concerned that their information is not going to be kept quiet. They're going to be treated like the leper, you know, like there's just such a stigma now attached to the second somebody coughs or sneezes that, oh my God, you, you might have COVID you know, or somebody's kid is homesick with the sniffles, like, oh my God, does your family have COVID? So it, it's, it, 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 I think it bears a further investigation on behalf of the employer. That's a great piece that you bring up, Tina, because we hadn't really touched on it, but really when we're doing like the who, what, when, and why of um, the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, we would be remiss to not mention the confidentiality issue, right? Um, if you're, getting information that's related to medical, um, whether it be COVID or not COVID, right? Um, you're under an obligation to, you know, keep that information confidential from other employees. And in, in the COVID context, it's sort of been like um, ridiculous almost in some situations. When there's six people in the, in the work, it's only six employees at a workplace, <laughs> one person gets COVID uh, and, and they're not under the ADA because they don't have 15 employees. So let's say there's 15, let's say there's 15 employees at that workplace. One person gets COVID, they're out, right? Um, even if they're not all friends on Facebook and don't see the post by the person saying they have COVID, which, <laughs> you know, likely has happened. Oh, Brenda's out for two weeks. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, it just drives the employers, these smaller employers crazy going so, or even when you have a small department in a large corporation, everybody knows why that person's out, Right. But the man, but the EOC is still like, look, 
management and the company cannot have those conversations talking about Brenda having COVID. Like they can't participate in them. If they see other employees talking about it, and that's, they need to get out of that situation because that is a total violation under the Americans with Disabilities Act to be disclosing the confidential information of an employee. And it's always uh, the medical information, but it's always been that way. But with COVID, it's just been super weird, I think, because of those situations. Well, but I also think right along with that, think about how many places you've gone to, events you've gone to, where you're standing at the door to go in, whether it's whether it's a church or a function or an outdoor event, and there there's somebody there like taking temperatures. And there's no there's no protection of your privacy. So I feel like that's eroded a little bit. But I remember when we were first talking to the employers here in Pennsylvania about reopening, one of the big things that I worked with them on was, look, if you're taking temperatures, you need to do that in an area that's confidential. If you have a line of 10 people and they're all standing in line and I'm at the front of the line and I get 101 temperature and all of a sudden I'm told to pack my bags and go home. Like, come on. Johnny, Johnny, this one's no good over here. <laughs> She's got the COVID. Get her out of here. The COVID. <laughs> send her home like and what does that do for the rest of the people in the line like panic stricken i so you know i think that employers need to be mindful of these things if you are taking temperatures or you are doing symptom checking you know when you go to a function where you're not an employee that's being done so casually but employers need to hire like be held to this higher standard of maintaining that confidentiality and asking those questions in a confidential way yeah. And then wherever those records are, you certainly don't leave them out on Susie's desk, what everyone's temperature was that morning, right? Like right. that stuff is supposed to be locked up. And actually, right, the EOC expects the medical stuff of an employee to be in a different file than the normal stuff. And again, you know, what's the rhyme and reason on that? Let's go back. The Americans with Disabilities Act, Tina, like played it out for us, of course, the purpose and the behind the scenes of the protections for people with disabilities. The reason they wanted medical separate from the normal file is your normal personnel file, maybe 10 people have access to that file, the manager, two managers, the manager that's out, you know, um, whoever, higher ups may all have access to that general personnel file of the employee. But the actual information related to a medical condition maybe only two people are on a need to know basis of what that is. And that's to protect the individual if there's a disability in there so that everyone doesn't have to know about, you know, private confidential medical information and, and then that's protected. And, and that would be the idea that you separate those files and you should have, and you know, in my opinion, I think you should, you should have all of it locked up. I mean, I've heard atrocious, atrocious stories of it's in the general file down the hallway, everyone's personnel files, you know, please, if you're listening to this, rethink that situation. Uh, locked file cabinets are not that expensive. Get one, get a lock and key, uh, keep one drawer for the medical, uh, keep one drawer for the regular files. It's, it's just not that complicated. And you risk so much by not having uh, protected that information for the employees. Absolutely, absolutely. Create a whole other drawer for all your COVID, COVID temperature checks. And <laughs> don't leave it on Susie's desk. <laughs> don't leave it on Susie's desk. I think we would have been great lawyers for Nat in the peach pit if we had had the opportunity. Don't you think, Tina? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, this was awesome. I love this chat. Uh, do, since it's your first time on the Legal Skinny podcast, and um, I know we're going to, we're going to do this as part one. So we're going to be doing some other um, ADA to be uh, continued um, episodes, but would you like to do the Legal Skinny rundown? Absolutely. 
Okay. So, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So beach or mountains? Beach a hundred percent. Elvis or the Beatles? You know, I'd have to go with the Beatles on that. Most influential book you've read? I picked two, Never Split the Difference and Lean In. Ah, Never Split the Difference. I read that this year. It's an excellent book. And then uh, Lean In, of course, is um, yeah, lots of insight there, especially as a woman business owner and or a woman even in the business and corporate world. So uh, great books, great books. Okay. And then Dead or Alive, what famous person would you invite to dinner? Oh, sadly, RBG. Oh, um, well. She would be my girl for dinner. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, our good friend Camille um, uh, said, I think said RBG when she did her legal skinny rundown. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was pre, it was pre uh, losing the justice there. So, um, yes. So, so sad. And we all know that she would be the most, of course, entertaining uh, dinner guest ever. Absolutely. I think you'd have a great time talking to her. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, okay. So finally, in one minute or less, what is the skinny on the uh, who, what, when, or why of the ADA for um, employers? Keep in mind that the goal is to put them at the same starting point as a non-disabled person. If you keep that perspective I think you'll see it as an easy thing to comply with. Love that. So if someone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? The best way is either email me at Christina at C Rieger Law, C-R-E-G-E-R-L-A-W.com or call me at 215-809-2089. Awesome, Tina. I, <laughs> I I feel like I should have renamed this episode of How Nosy Can You Get with the ADA? <laughs> Maybe that's a great topic. <laughs> okay, so uh, we, we will be back. This is just part one. Uh, I've, I've conned Tina into doing multiple episodes here with me because uh, we have so much fun together. And um, that's the legal skinny on the ADA part one, who, what, when, and why. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Legal Skinny Podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to get future podcast episodes. Also, check out LegalSkinny.com to join our newsletter and get details on all the educational resources we offer the employer. Also, disclaimer, remember Legal Skinny is for entertainment and informational purposes only, not meant to provide legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Laws change or they differ by jurisdiction. So also remember... This is not a substitute for seeking legal counsel in your jurisdiction on the current law applicable to you.